In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is liberty and peace. In your presence, there's healing. In your presence, there's rest. In your presence, there's provision. In your presence, there's joy unspeakable that's full of glory. We thank you, O Lord, for these times of refreshing before the presence of the Lord. And we thank you for all that has happened thus far in this service. Thank you for hearts that have communicated with you and hearts and lives that have been touched by humbling themselves under the mighty hand of the Lord. God, touch us now as we open the pages of your word, and may they truly enlighten our path, and may they truly become wisdom and strength to us. And as the prophet said, honey in our mouths. We love you, Lord. We're your people, and we're humbled in your presence right now. And we ask you to speak to us as you spoke to the churches in the book of Revelation. And let every one of us hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Well, we've examined churches at Ephesus, at Smyrna, at Pergamos. And today we come to the fourth in our series of churches, the church at Thyatira. God has been so graciously benevolent to each of these churches, and each of them have their own distinction. There are dispensationalists that would like to categorize these churches into periods of time in history of the church, dividing history into thousands of years and making seven uh, applications of that. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's the way some people see the historic uh, value of the church. Today we're going to talk about a, a, a small church. We've talked about great cities of the world thus far. Ephesus, certainly. Pergamos, what a great metropolis Pergamos was. And I enjoyed preaching about Pergamos last Sunday. That was so wonderful to talk about that white stone that's given to every one of us and that there's a name on it that is known only to us personally and that inheritance that we have, that crown that we have, that's going to be won by everyone that overcomes. Well, what a good finality that was. We rejoiced and left here shouting last Sunday, didn't we? And thanking God for the fact that he rewards faithfulness. Well, in fact, Thyatira is the smallest of all of these seven cities to which these churches are attached. And it seems strange. There's seven verses to Ephesus. There's four to Smyrna, seven to Pergamos, but 11 verses to Thyatira. Isn't it strange that God had more to say about the smallest church than any of the other? That seems strange to me. But God had something particular in mind in Thyatira. He had many good things to say about them, and he had one thing to say about them that needed to be repaired or revived or restored or corrected, whatever. And that brings us to the point that God at sundry times wants to do things in our life that sends us in a different direction or gives us a different mindset than we had before. Have you ever had an encounter with God when you left there with a different mindset? Have you ever had an encounter with God that was so life-changing that it altered everything that you'd known and felt before? 
that from that moment forward, everything had changed. I hope that all of you have had those moments because the Bible is full of them. We sang about one here today when Isaiah had that revelation in Isaiah 6. He said, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, his train filled the temple. And he said, I saw all of that glorious wonder and majestic sight. What a powerful experience he was and he said when I saw it I cried woe is me woe is me every encounter that we have with God always causes us to say woe is me every person that sits in the presence of God will always feel his unworthiness or will feel his inaptness and he will feel that there is something that needs to change about him. Isaiah said, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live in a land where the culture is a people that have unclean lips. And he said, I am undone. The, Greek, the Hebrew word is unraveled. It literally means coming apart at the seams. Here he lays on the floor, God being exalted, God being being praised and worshiped by uh, beings crying holy, holy, holy and he lies here in a wretched condition undone and coming apart at the seams. What a picture that is to see humanity prostrated before the Lord. He is the Lord of glory but we are undone. What a gracious act it was on God's part not to leave him in that condition but God caused one of the seraphim to fly and to take one of the coals from off the altar and to anoint the lips or touch the lips of the prophet. And he, he said, I, I was purged. My lips were purged and my lips were cleansed. You mean there is a purging that God can do for us that affects our speech? You mean there is a, a purging, an experience with God that we can have that it will alter our phonics and our tone and our speech as a man speaketh from his heart so is he because the heart the Bible said is the center of our consciousness our, our conscious will is our heart centered in our heart and God said my people serve me with their lips but their heart is far from me you see when the heart becomes disassociated from the lips when you can say things you don't mean and you can say things that you have no intention of carrying through, when you can say things that are hypocritical and things that are just designed to mean selfish gain for you and to accomplish what you want to get it done, when the heart is disassociated from the mouth, you need to pray like Isaiah prayed and said, God, help me, I've got a problem here with unclean lips. And... The Bible said that seraphim touched him and touched his lips. Can you imagine what flesh is like when a live burning ember is put on the, no doubt, pain, no doubt, blisters, no doubt, swelling, no doubt, suffering. And here he lays and he's been purged and he's been cleansed and then he heard something. And he heard God say, who will go for us? And whom shall we send? And he said, with parched lips, Here am I, Lord, send me. 
ever encounter with the deity of God, the awesomeness of his sovereignty always leaves us in a state of needing something from, from God. Thyatira was a, a small city, but it was a city that had a witness and a testimony. And the testimony was small because the city was small and it was populated with people, mostly pagans, mostly heathen, mostly idol-worshiping temples, mostly idol-worshiping people, worshiping idol gods. Dionysius, Athena, the fertility goddesses, Zeus, and also Baal, the sun god. And all of these gods had temples. Everywhere you look, there was a church. Everywhere you look, there was a house of worship. Everywhere you turned, there was a temple erected to some deity of some kind. And here's this little struggling church called Thyatira. Thyatira. He says many things to this church. Let's read it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And unto the angel, that's the messenger, the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Now this not only is a, a look back at his experience on Patmos when, when he saw the Lord. He said his hair was white like wool. Eyes were as a flame of fire. About his paps was a golden girdle. He had a priestly robe down to his feet and his feet were as fine brass burnt in the furnace. Not only was he looking back to that time as that one that walked in the midst of the golden candlesticks, that one that had the seven stars in his hand, that one that was called Lord of Lords, that one that was called King of Kings, that one that was called the Son of God. What a wonderful translation that is to let us know that God is glorious in his righteousness. He is glorious in holiness. He is glorious in all of his dealings with us. He is glorious. And some writers even refer back from this account to one of the epiphanies. Do you know what an epiphany is? My folks on Wednesday night certainly should know that an epiphany is an Old Testament rendering of the Lord Jesus. And the, one of the most famous is found in the book of the Kings when Nebuchadnezzar took the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and took them and cast them into the fiery furnace. You remember? And the Bible said Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace in the fire and he said, did we not cast three? into the furnace. And they said, Yea, O king, three is what we put in the furnace. He said, Lo, I see four. And the fourth one, he said, is like unto the Son of God. Hallelujah. Well, that fourth man in the fire message that just about everybody preaches, that we're, we're told then three went in, three came out, why did the fourth man in the fire stay in? He stayed in because sometime probably in September of 2019, someone else might find themselves in a furnace, a situation where the condition is fiery or where the situation is dire and catastrophic. And the fourth man will always be found with you, not somewhere else looking, but he's a very present help in time of need. He's an on-time God and he 
always present with us and he never leaves us and he never, ever forsakes us. But he goes with us all the way through every trial, through every difficulty, every hardship, every broken heart, every crushed spirit. He doesn't withdraw from us. He goes with us all the way, even to the end. All the way. Are you glad you serve an all the way, God? His eyes were a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. And he said this, I know your works. Can anybody say God knows? God knows what you brought with you to church this morning. God knows what you'll find when you go back. God knows what's going to happen Monday morning when you punch the clock. God knows what's going to happen at the doctor's office this next week. God knows what's going to happen in the emergency room this next week. God knows what's in our future. He's always with us, but he always knows what lies ahead because he inhabits eternity. He is, he is the God of eternity past, eternity future. He is with us in the present and the now. And he says, and I know your works. I know what you're doing in my name. I know that little insignificant thing you thought, but I saw when you did that. I saw that help you gave to a neighbor that was in trouble. I, I heard that encouraging word you gave to someone that was discouraged. I, I, I saw that time when you helped somebody uh, out of a difficult situation. I, I saw those times when you stood by somebody when they didn't have anybody to stand by them. I, I know your works. I, I know about how you, how you live, not just how you talk, but I know how you live. I know your works. And I know about your charity. Charity is chorus. That means love. I know how you love. I know how you love. You don't love just in word, but you also love in deed. You don't just have a, a, a say-so love. You carry it out in activity, in action. I know about your charity. I know about your, your love. I know about your service to God. I know about those pies that you bake. I know how you worked for the yard sale. I know about how you, you worked on the roof up there and tried to patch the leaks. I, I know about the times when you spent hours out here putting things together and bolting and nailing and hammering and carrying. I know about your service. I know your worth as a servant. I, I know your heart and I know that you want to be a blessing. I know about your service. I know how you love and I know how you serve. And I know about your faith. I know how you believe. I know how you trust God. I know how that you stand upon the word of the Lord. I know about your faith. I know how you have, have, have been so diligent and uh, so doctrinally right. I know how that you've taken the things that are truth and you've held on to those things. And I know about those things. I know you haven't let them slip and you haven't forgotten, but you continue in faith. And I know about your patience. You mean God knows whether I'm patient or not? I know about your patience. I know how that you've went on in spite of difficult situations. I know the situations that you've been patient with. When other people would have thrown up their hands and quit, you kept going. You were patient. I know you kept struggling under duress. I know how that, how that it, despite the negatives that happened, you just kept on and, and kept 
digging in and holding your ground and were faithful and were patient. You didn't accuse God falsely. You didn't get mad at God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. You still maintained patience and you maintained integrity under God. And I know your works. And listen, and the last to be more than the first. Well, now wait a minute. These people are growing. These people are getting better. I know how that your works now is better than they used to be. I know how your faith now is larger than it used to be. I know how that your patience is greater now than it used to be. You're getting better at this thing called serving the Lord. You mean we're supposed to get better, Brother Jerry? You mean we're supposed to grow in grace? You mean that we're supposed to get better at the things that we do for God? You, you mean our prayer life should be better now than it used to be? You mean my devotional time with the Lord should be greater now than it used to be? You, you mean that I witness more for the Lord now that I used to witness? Do, uh, do you mean that I, I, I participate in the things of God and uh, do the things that godly people do? You mean I, I'm supposed to be doing that better and more often now than I used to do it? Yes. Yes. The idea is grow in grace. Be more mature in God. Be stronger in faith. Be stronger in commitment. Get, get better at this thing called being a servant of God. You know, sometimes we're tempted to just get by. I want to go to heaven, but I want to squeeze through a crack. Just the bare minimum. Whatever I have to do, I, I just want to pay the least amount I'm a spiritual tightwad. I don't want to spend no more than is just absolutely necessary to get there. Well, what a pitiful excuse that is. And yet, I must confess to you as a frustrated pastor, I know people that probably were better years ago than they are now. As a frustrated pastor, I must tell you, there are some that I've been their pastor 33 years and I have seen no growth. They're just like they was when I found them 34 years ago. You see, God doesn't want us just to tread water. God doesn't want us just to sit and soak and sour. God doesn't want us just to become status quo, or mundane, or ordinary. God's people, he calls them peculiar people. You know what that means? That means one of a kind. Are you acting like one of a kind? Would the people around you, if you were tried for being a Christian, are the people around you, would they vote for you? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian. Come on, somebody. One of the things Jesus commended this church for, did you read it up there? You're now doing more than you did at the first. 
You've got better at this thing. You know what I see about the church? It's doing less than it did at the first. Instead of strengthening and getting bigger and more aggressive and and more powerful, it seems like we're cutting back. The general idea that the church, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church in general, that the church in America, the signal we're sending to the country is that we're going out of business. Amen. Strong, strong churches that for many years, the strong Southern Baptist Convention that posted growth, enormous growth every year that for the last few years has posted decline. The United Methodist Church in America has lost a million members in the last 10 years. One writer has said, religion in America is on a slippery slope going downhill. Well, all the things that we have stood for and preached for, marriage, family, home, all of those things we have, we have preached and held dear are now under attack and probably sliding away pretty quick. You know what the probate judge told me this last week, Gary? He said, people don't have to go and get marriage license anymore. You just go find you somebody who will marry you and download a license, do the ceremony, and send it back to the courthouse within 30 days. Cheap. We're cheapening the experience of marriage. Well, Brother Jerry, the divorce rate is going down. Did you know that? Yeah, because fewer people are getting married. They just live with one another. So there's no no marriage, so sure the statistics are going down. But did you know Christians still outrank non-Christians in the divorce rate? Christians are divorcing at a higher rate than non-Christians. Are you kidding me, Pastor? No, I'm telling you the truth. The things that we used to do really, really well, we're not doing so good a job at those things anymore. And a social gospel is now being preached from most of the pulpits. A social gospel that aggrandizes the individual common things you have heard now is how to be a better you. It's more about self than it is about Jesus and the saving grace of God. A better life for you. How you can be happy. You can do this. You can do that. How you can make this bigger. All these things. And the emphasis is more upon you and not him. The church, the message of the church has always been, it's all about Him. That we are His servants. That we serve Him. We worship Him. We love Him. It's really not all about me. It's all about Him. 
He was not the one that was lost. I was the one that was lost. He was not the one that was depraved. I was depraved. He was not the one who had lost it all. I was the one that had lost it all. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I know your works. I know how you're better now. I know how you've grown in grace and grown in favor with God. And man, I know how you've been a good, good witness and you've done good. Now that's right the opposite of what the Ephesian church did. The Ephesian church, brother, they did things so well that they lost their love. You've lost your first love. Well, boy, these folks, God commended them for loving. But when it comes to loving Thyatira, you're right up there on the top shelf. You love people. Thank God you love folks. You love one another. And you love God. You love the things of God. Hallelujah. Thank God. Right the opposite. The Ephesian church was so thrilled about being doctrinally right, remember? How thou canst not stand them that do evil. How that thou hast exposed prophets that say they're prophets, but they're not. You won't tolerate hypocrites. You won't tolerate uh, those that say they're prophets and are apostles, but they're not. And he said, you, you don't, subscribe to the Nicolaitans, you've hated the Nicolaitans, you've remained true in doctrine, you've remained true to the principles of the faith, and you've uh, purged yourself, and, but you've lost your first love, lost your passion. Come on, somebody. Well, this group here, they've got passion. They've got love. They've got good works. They've got patience. But now listen to what he says, notwithstanding. Or your King James probably says, nevertheless. Or as I preached to you a couple of Sundays ago, but. Yeah, but. But I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Wow. Now we're introduced to a New Testament Jezebel. We know her from the Old Testament, don't we, in 1 Kings? You remember her? Hey, she's not a Jew. She's a Phoenician. She's from a place called Sidon. And she was a very beautiful Princess, had great things, had a wonderful life. But her father was the king. And her father gave her away to the king of Israel who was Ahab. Like a piece of material that you would barter as eggs or milk and he traded her for favor from Israel in trade in other words for advantage and favor he gave his daughter to Ahab 
She did not want to be the wife of Ahab. She did not want to leave her home in Sidon and move to Israel. She did not want to be sold like a piece of meat to such a person as Ahab. Now, Ahab was not much of a catch. He was a sorry, low-down somebody, but he was king of Israel. And the comment was made about him, he made Israel sin more than any other king. In fact, the statement is made about him. We've got men that were kings that were commended for being righteous. There was no other king more ungodly than Ahab. And here's this princess that's been turned over like a piece of meat to a man like Ahab. She had a tough upbringing. In fact, her mother was manipulative and her mother was controlling and her mother was domineering and demanding and she felt manipulated by her mother and rejected by her father. Most Jezebels have a rejected relationship with the father and a manipulating relationship with a mother. And they determine, I'm never going to be controlled again, and I'm never going to be rejected ever again. I'll never put myself in a place to be rejected ever again. And I'll never be controlled by anybody ever again. She had a poison in her. A poison that caused her feeling to go away. She did what she did with no feeling for others. She did what she did because of her desire to never be controlled by anybody ever again. Nobody will ever sell me again. Nobody will ever own me and trade me off. No one will ever manipulate and dominate like my mother did me. That'll never happen again. What's going on there, Pastor? Anger. Anger and hurt. It's true, hurt people hurt people. Only God can deal with anger issues. Only God can take that spirit of rebellion and resistance out of a person and make him a rightful child of God. Have you ever read in 1 Kings I believe it's the 16th chapter where the Bible talks about, about Ahab. And Ahab was so, so insecure. Ahab was so, so stupidly ignorant that he wanted to buy a vineyard from a man named Nabal. And Nabal said, no, that's my, my treasure. That's my inheritance. My dad gave me that. That's my inheritance. It's, it means something special to me. I will not, God forbid, that I would sell you anything that's connected to my inheritance and my relationship with my God and my Father. I'll never, ever part with something that's so sacred to me. What you've got to realize is the spirit of Jezebel always corrupts and perverts 
the things you hold precious and the things you hold dear. So she walks in and finds Ahab a pouting. And she sees him sitting over there all puffed up like a toad frog. Don't act like you've never seen that before. And she goes over and says, what's the matter with you? And he says, I wanted that vineyard that Nabal had and he wouldn't sell it to me. And that's what's got you in this mood you're in, depressed and teary-eyed and sold up. She said, I'll fix that for you. Watch out for Jezebel. And she goes and hires some people. I want you to go over there and kill Nabal. Just murder him. Take him out of the way. He's in the way. You see, a Jezebel spirit just disposes of people. So when these men had gone and killed Nabal, came back and told Jezebel, they're dead. She goes in and says, oh, honey, I got great news for you. Nabal suddenly showed up murdered. There's the deed to the vineyard. Need any more, just let old Jez know. When it comes to wiping somebody out, Call me, Alabama. (laughs) Want somebody rubbed? Call me. Somebody causing you a little harm? Let me know about it. I'll take care of it for you. I don't care who they are. I don't care what their name is. I don't care what they wear. I don't care where they live. None of that stuff bothers me. Just let me know. You want them out of the way? I'll take care of them for you. Who cares? A Jezebel spirit doesn't care who she hurts, doesn't care who she kills, doesn't care what the effects of her actions are. Wow. Wow. Brother Jerry, how do I ever spot a Jezebel spirit? Number one is resistance and rejection. When you see someone that refuses to go along with anything and hates rules, hates authority, hates anything, and their attitude is just one of Rebellion and resistance. When you see that, that means there's insecurity and rejection. Did you know Herod was one of the most insecure people? Which Herod, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because there's seven of them. And you get them messed up all the time and get the wrong Herod and the wrong story. The Herod we're talking about is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was what you would call a narcissist. He only existed for himself. He's called Herod the Great because he's Herod the Great. Not Herod the Little. Not Herod the Weak. But Herod the Powerful. Herod the Great. Hey, he's the one that built Masada. 
He's the one that built the aqueduct from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem to get water. Hey, and something you don't know, he's the one that built the Western Wall. Are you kidding me? Well, how was he so insecure? Well, it started on a night you call Christmas. And some wise men came to see him. And they said to him, we've come to worship this Christ child. We've come, he's the king of the kings. He's the Lord of lords. We've seen his star in the east. And the prophets have foretold us about this and said, we've come to worship him. And Herod said, well, I want to worship him too. When you find him, send me word and let me know so that I can come and worship him too. What did he really want to do? Kill him. Kill him. Why? Because he was so insecure. And because of his insecurity, he killed all the male babies that were born in Bethlehem because of his insecurity. He had many, many wives, a lot of wives. Are you ready for this? He killed every one of them. One that he thought was most beautiful that gave him several children. And by the way, he killed all them too. See, a Jezebel spirit will kill even family. A Jezebel spirit is so insecure that it will rub out even family. In fact, five days before Herod died, he was on his deathbed, and he killed his oldest son five days before he died because his eldest son was the next heir to the throne. And he killed him because he was so insecure. I can't say enough bad about a Jezebel spirit. And G Jesus says to this church, he says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Jezebel will not take advantage of opportunities to change. In fact, she won't change. Jezebel will not change. Jezebel is right. Everybody else is wrong. Jezebel is the only cog in the wheel. None of the others matter. Just her. Just her. And Jesus said, I gave her many opportunities to change. For it's not the will of God that any should perish. He said, I gave her opportunity to repent of her fornication, but she wouldn't. And then he pronounced a terrible end to a Jezebel spirit. What's the second one about a Jezebel spirit? How can I reckon? Not only insecurity and rejection, but pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. One who can shake his fist in the face of God. One can, who can do despite to the spirit of grace. One who can tread under feet the blood of the Holy Covenant. One who can do menacing things to all that God 
works in and through. Third thing you'll see is manipulation and control. How do you know a Jezebel spirit is affecting me? Number one, ready for this? Fear. If you're being controlled by fear, then there's a Jezebel spirit somewhere that's controlling you. If you do everything that you do out of fear, and you do everything you do out of dread and worry and anxiety and frustration, when that's your motivation to do what you do so I won't have to accept the wrath or receive the wrath of Jezebel. Fear. Fear. If you're frightened and living in fear all the time, you don't want to talk to a person, you don't want to talk to them, you want to try to reason with them, you always get the same result, rebuffed and rejected. What is another one? Weakness. Weakness. Why weakness? You see, when you lose your strength, your spiritual strength, when fear has paralyzed you, when you're afraid to take a step, when you feel so manipulated that you have no strength of your own to carry on, then realize that there's something, there's a spirit somewhere. I said there's a spirit somewhere. A spirit somewhere. Did you know all of the things, fear, anxiety, all those are spirits. They're spirits and they come against you. They come against your faith. And you've got to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And it takes strength to do that. I got Debbie to watch the movie Sandlot the other day. Have you watched Sandlot? Hey, Carlos has. Well, the rest of you need to watch it. It's about kids in a neighborhood and reminded me so much of ourselves when we were kids playing ball up at the diamond up behind the church all the things the different characters and all and but there was a man that lived close that had a junkyard and he had a junkyard dog and sometimes the boys would hit a home run and knock it over the fence but they lost the baseball every time because there was a junkyard dog on the other side of that fence. And they called that junkyard dog the beast. And they realized this one kid that later played baseball for the Detroit Tigers, this one kid, he realized if I'm ever going to be anything in life, I've got to face up to this thing. If I'm ever going to overcome this fear and this anxiety that's been with me all these years, that every time we knock a ball over there in that junkyard, we lose it, and I'm tired of losing. We lose things that we need. We lose things that give us joy. We lose things that need, we need to play the game and have fellowship. We're losing something we really need and we love. But we lose it because there's a junkyard dog. And one day he decides when they knocked a special ball over there that was autographed by Babe Ruth, I'm going to face up to my fear. I'm going to face up to my anxiety. He's just a dog. 
and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get our baseball back. Well, it has a happy ending because he gets a better baseball. Because the guy that owns the junkyard is blind, but he used to play baseball with Babe Ruth and had a 1927 baseball that was signed by every player that played on the New York Yankees team. Wouldn't you love to have that? So he replaced what he thought was irreplaceable with something else because he faced his fear. Faced his fear. Every one of us, at some time or another, you've got to face your fear. No matter who that, how big or how, how gruff or how imposing that, that person is. You've got to at some time, some place, somewhere, face up to that thing and look it in the eye and say, I'm not afraid of you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in you. It's a David giant kind of thing. You walk out there in the valley, you say, the same God that delivered me before will deliver me now. The same God that brought me to this point will carry me forward. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victor. And my fears have done nothing but paralyze me and make me a miserable person, and I refuse to be that way anymore. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen to that. So that story of, of Jezebel and somehow found its way into a church. And he said, my problem with you is that you have tolerated that spirit within your church. God doesn't want a manipulative, domineering, angry spirit that doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't want that in his church. But evidently in this church at Thyatira, they had that kind of a situation. And he said, I will take care of that spirit if you just won't tolerate that. You know, for many years before I come to the pulpit to preach, I always pray a prayer. And that prayer and my steps coming to the pulpit is this. Lord, I want you to use me as an instrument in your hands. And I want to surrender everything about me right this moment to be used by you. You're a Lord, you're my Lord, you're my God, and I've come to preach your word, and I need your blessing, and I need your favor, and I need you to help me. Second thing I do, I say, and God, I resist the devil. I resist the devil that would like to steal what you want to give to the people today. I resist the devil, I rebuke the devil in Jesus' name so that what you've got for us we can receive that. That every hindrance would be moved. That every obstacle be taken out of the way so that we can hear what the Spirit has to say. Now, God says, I, I will take care of all, all of that. I, and it's terrible, the wrath of God that would come upon a, a spirit like that. But he said, but unto you, I say, unto the rest of you in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But one thing I want to make sure you do is hold on to that that you have until I come. Don't quit doing good things for God. Don't quit preaching the gospel. Don't quit witnessing. Don't quit bearing the burdens of people. Don't quit praying. Don't quit worshiping. Don't quit singing. 
Don't quit teaching. Don't quit participating in the things that God does. Hold fast to those things and keep doing those things. Keep growing. Keep getting better. Keep getting stronger. Keep growing in grace. Don't let your surroundings stop you from growing and getting better. Why is that, Pastor? He said, but that which ye have already hold fast, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power. I will give power. And he shall rule with a rod iron, and the vessels of the potter, they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. I will give him the morning star. Could I ask you, stand with me. Could I ask you today, who is the morning star? Okay, let me show you how to do Y'all ask me that question. Ask me, Brother Irwin, who is the morning star? Jesus! You don't answer loud enough or long enough. Jesus is the morning star. God says to the rest of the church that haven't been pulled at, you see, these trade unions, Thyatira was known as a city that manufactured a certain kind of fabric. And that fabric was dyed with a certain kind of dye. You know who the most famous one was that was a member of that church? Come on, it was a woman. Lydia, you know why she was a seller of purple? And in Acts chapter 16 is when she got saved. She met Paul at the city of Philippi. She was probably on a business trip because she was a woman of wealth and prosperity. And she met Paul and she listened to the gospel and she got converted. The Bible called her a worshiper of God. And she was from the city of Thyatira. And so she went back to the city of Thyatira, spread the good news, and presto, a church in Thyatira. Wow. Now here's, here's a problem. There were guilds. Do you know what a guild is? It's like a union, a labor union. There were guilds in the city of Thyatira. And you come to the, to the union hall, as it was, and you had celebrations. And you ate things that were offered to idols, ate meat that was offered to idols. You ate sacrifices to pagan gods, meat that was offered to pagan gods. You did sexually immoral things at these union meetings. And God said his problem with Jezebel is she told everybody, you don't have to keep your church covenant. You don't have to be faithful to, to God, to what you believe. And the Bible said Jezebel caused them to commit immorality. And Jezebel caused them to forsake the integrity of their relationship with God and turn aside to pagan worship. Now here's the problem. If you don't join the guild, you can't work. And if you can't work, you don't get paid. And if you don't get paid, you can't feed your family. And Jezebel was the enforcer that made sure 
that you came to the meetings and you participated in eating. Now, listen, these are Gentiles, right? All of you are Gentiles. I'm one, a Cherokee Indian Gentile. I'm not a Jew. And when Gentiles started getting saved, they had a council at Jerusalem decide whether their salvation was worth anything. And they, Peter spoke and Paul spoke, you know. And they said, the council at Jerusalem said this, hey, we're willing to accept you into the church. We're willing to put our arms around you and call you brothers and sisters in Christ. We're willing to love you and to accept you as, as people that have been saved by the grace of God. You know Jesus. We're willing. But there's four things here that as Gentiles do that you can't do anymore. Number one, you have to abstain from sexual immorality. You've got to be true to your mate. You've got to keep your marriage vow. You've got to live pure. You've got to live holy. You've got to live right. Two, you can't eat food that's sacrificed to idols. Three, you can't eat bloody things. Come on now. What they're saying is we want to embrace you but said your culture is such that you've got to change from your culture and you've got to do, do things that Christian people do and quit acting like Gentiles act. Quit worshiping pagans. Quit worshiping idol gods. And don't eat food strangled that's been strangled. Don't eat that. That's unclean. We're forbidden to do that. Well, that was their church code. They said, we'll do that. Praise God, that sounds good to us. Hey, Let's just have a big church joining and let's just all join and we'll keep our church covenant. But here comes along Jezebel and says, God's not going to hold you to that. God knows you have fun over there at them trade union deals, don't he? Don't you? Now just admit it, you like that good old ham hocks you eat over there. You like that good food they serve over there, don't you? Come on now, you love them after dinner activities. Come on now, you like that, don't you? And that spirit that made them sin and made them break their church vows is what God said to the church, I've got somewhat against you because you tolerate that. You tolerate that. God wants His people to stand up and take a stand for right, take a stand for fidelity, honesty, and decency. God wants His people to be people of love people that are of understanding, that are doctrinally right, that embrace right things. My prayer to God is this. God, give us a spirit that is humble because God resisteth the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And God, if there's times and areas in our life when we've been manipulative, where we've been controlling, where we have been overbearing, then God, we repent today of that. Forgive us for that. God, purge us and wash us and make us clean. And we repent and we embrace the love of God and the peace of God. And we embrace the things of the kingdom of God that will cause us to grow 
and get stronger and become larger. Isn't that a good prayer to pray? Will you pray it with me? God, in Jesus' name, I come to your throne of mercy. And I know that in all of us, there are areas of our lives when we have been controlling and where we have been manipulative. But I realize this morning that that's a spirit. And right now, in Jesus' name, I denounce that spirit. I cast it from me. And in Jesus' name, it will never be a part of me anymore. It has destroyed, it has hurt many things in my life. And in Jesus' name, I declare my liberty and my freedom from that spirit. And in Jesus' name, I will walk anew, cleansed, washed, delivered, set free, and happy in God's love. Amen and amen and amen. God. Husband, you go home with a brand new wife today. Wife, you go home with a brand new husband today. Amen. No more. No more. No more. I won't be afraid anymore. I won't be anxious. No more. I'll be at peace. God said I could have peace. And I'm going to have peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, time to give that 30 seconds of the best glory you got. Come on. Best worship you got. Best you got. Best you got. freedom in Jesus. Chains, I hear those chains are falling. I hear those chains falling. I hear those chains falling. Breaks every chain. Breaks every chain. Thank you for freedom today, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today for the empowering freedom of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that your sacrificial life gives, gives to all of us freedom and liberty. And we thank you for that freedom and who we are in Jesus. We love you for that, God. Go home with us now to our homes and our families and give us an enjoyable Lord's Day today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 God bless you and God go with you is my prayer.